Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. My name is Dan Rober. I'm joined again in the podcast studio with Bob Evans. Thanks, Bob, for being here with us. Thanks for having me again. We're continuing our series on the importance of theology, that good theology matters. And so far, what we talked about is what is theology trying to demystify the goal of theology. And last episode, we talked a little bit about a theological method. How do you develop your theology? So, Bob, today you and I get to dive into a bit more specifics. Okay. Instead of talking about it, More generally, we know that here at Wildwood, as a Presbyterian church, a term that we use quite a bit is Reformed theology. And so we just want to uh, demystify this concept just a little bit, talk about what it is and what this means for people who would sit under the teaching of pastors and uh, elders here at Wildwood. So let's start with a pretty broad question. What's the difference between a Christian theology? and uh, say a reformed theology? Well, we would say reformed theology is a school of thought or a perspective within the broader uh, family of evangelicals, okay? There are some distinctions in how we see the sovereignty of God or the free will of man, you know, things like that. And so I think a lot of the issues in reformed theology center around those kind of subjects, you know, the issues of grace and free will and salvation and election and, and so forth and so on. If you go back to historically, and you're a historical theologian, uh, the key question that came out of the Reformation, I think, is how do human beings become acceptable in God's sight, okay? So how do human beings become acceptable in God's sight? I think in the, uh, the corrupted church of Luther's day, you know, there was a feeling that you could even buy your way into uh, forgiveness of yeah. some sort, or certainly you work your way through cooperation with the sacraments. I think that the word reform really comes out of reformation. In other words, how did the early reformers understand what it meant to be accepted in the presence of God? Are we accepted because we uh, work our way there? We can buy our way there? I think what came out of Luther and Calvin, for instance, was that uh, it wasn't some combination of faith and works. It was grace alone that actually was the reason that I'm in the presence of God. Now, there's other constituent elements of that. But it was a triumph of grace, you might say, over other views that were predominant at the time. And of course, we carry on through history now, and we have these debates over uh, whether God chooses us or we choose God and so forth and so on. But I would say that the framework of Reformed theology is found in what we call the five solas of the Reformation. And if you notice in our own church, uh, we have these, um, you know, this canvas artwork up on both sides of our sanctuary that describe the five solas in different languages. And the sola is a Latin word meaning only or alone. So let me give you what those are, because I think they form the framework of Reformed theology. You have Scripture alone, which means there's no other source of authority that the believer has. Christ alone, which means there's no other mediator or mediatrix, no other person that can actually stand in the gap between a holy God and sinful man except Christ and his finished work. Grace alone, which means there's no other explanation for why God accepts me other than his own sovereign choosing of me. Faith alone means there is no other instrument or means by which I access 
uh, the grace of Christ other than simple trust. In other words, it's not my works or my merits, anything else that I would do to show God that I'm worthy. And God's glory alone, sola dea gloria, means that the ultimate goal of life is to bring God glory. This whole system of thought is very theocentric. Okay, it is not man-centered. It doesn't start with man and man's needs and man's abilities. It starts with God's grace, God's sovereignty, God's goodness. And then the stuff filters down to us uh, in a very merciful kind of way. Yeah. As a historian, I'm loving the uh, little history lesson that you gave us there. Well, where, yeah. where was I wrong? Yeah. Uh, you can nope. tell me, you know. You, you, got, you <laughs> got the basics there. Now, it is important to know, and uh, I think we agree on this. The Protestant Reformation happened for a reason, and it was important and necessary, and we still believe that to today. That's, I would think that's correct, yes. But that doesn't mean that we are in complete disagreement with, say, what happened in the Roman Catholic Church before. There are several areas of agreement that we would have where we can still get along. We have lots of agreement with the Roman Catholic Church in the, in the triunity of God, the deity of Christ in the incarnation of Christ, you know, all of those things and his miracles and the belief that his word is uh, credible and authoritative. Where we begin to differ from that historical picture is how do you actually access the grace of God? How does that actually occur? I think that's where the difference comes in, where the, even the modern church would assume, modern Catholic church might assume that it's a, a movement of obedience and cooperation with the sacraments that leads to our forgiveness. Whereas in the Reformed world, we think we are forgiven, and then we move toward life change and works uh, as a result of transforming grace of Jesus in our hearts. And of course, this debate raged among R.C. Sproul and J.I. Packer. You know, they had a real uh, brouhaha over this whole thing in terms of the definition of terms like justification and so forth. So we don't want to get people confused by, you know, some of those uh, rabbit trails. But I think the main thing is the framework of the sola, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and God's glory alone. And of course, Reformed people use the term doctrines of grace. That's a huge term in the Reformed world to describe that the whole movement of salvation from beginning to end, how I become a Christian and how I am preserved and actually reach heaven is all about God and has very little to do with my abilities and power or nothing to do with my abilities and power to maintain or sustain that. So in the end, and we're just giving a brief introduction to a Reformed mm -hmm. theology here, obviously, and there's so many more things that we could learn about this. Sure. Lots of books obviously have been written because that's what Reformed people like to do, right? Write books. Yeah, we that's all they do books. is write books. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do they witness or evangelize. They just like to write books. No, I'm just teasing you. In fact, that's one of the misconceptions of Reformed theology. If God is so sovereign, then why do we even witness? Why do we pray? Those are misconceptions of the truth or of the teaching. God is sovereign, and we are responsible, and those two things run on parallel tracks. We may not totally understand them, but we live in both worlds at the same time. You brought up an important point here. Even with a developed, you could argue, a complete theological system, that doesn't mean that all of your answers are going to be there. Like we don't have complete, full answers for everything. There's still tension. There's still mystery about how all this works. Well, there's mystery about uh, how we actually come to faith in Christ, because uh, we believe God has to open our eyes, and yet we are responsible in some ways as well to um, walk toward Jesus. But we don't do that in our own flesh. We do that in the strength and the power. 
you were to ask me, why am I a Christian? I would say because God opened my eyes in a way that he may not have opened someone else's eyes. All the glory goes to him. But Reformed theology doesn't take away the mystery between God's sovereignty or human responsibility or God's decrees and, and God's um, demands or precepts in the scriptures. In other words, what happens and what God commands are often two different things. We live in mystery, and in fact, I would think Reformed theology is meant to allow us to live with the tensions of mystery and realize that we are not in the position of figuring everything out. We're not allowed, as it were, to get behind the curtain yeah. and to figure out uh, why God does what he does. Yeah. So you've been teaching uh, Reformed theology for decades now, and you've touched on one of those uh, misconceptions. Are there any other misconceptions of Reformed theology that you think are important for our listeners to consider? Well, I, I guess I, if I just mentioned that people say that, uh, therefore, there's no need to evangelize. Okay, that would be the biggest one that Reformed theology, in a sense, dampens enthusiasm for evangelism because if God knows who's going to come to him already or has actually selected them, you know, by his own sovereign grace, then who are we to enter into that process? Uh, that, to me, is the most damaging claim against Reformed theology, but it's also the most uh, errant because it's not true, okay? We don't know what God's purposes and plans are, and we are called to joyfully enter into the process of witnessing to everyone because we don't know who God ultimately will bring to himself. Yeah. If you had to say one statement at the end of our time here in support of Reformed theology, as opposed to, let's say, uh, a more Wesleyan perspective. Right, which tends oh. to be a little more free will oriented or more man-centered. Exactly. The question my dad wrestled with this, he said, he came to grips with this fact. He said, why am I a Christian? my neighbor is not. Mm. He said, the only thing I can conclude is that God gave me something to see and open my eyes in a way that maybe he has not opened my neighbor's eyes. In other words, the whole thing in Reformed theology to me and why I embrace it is because there's nothing I can do uh, to point to anything in my life that has merited or earned or prepared myself for salvation. Okay. That, to me, is the bottom line. I think grace means I have no other answer other than the fact that God has been kind to me in actually drawing me to himself through no merit of my own to embrace me as his child. That, to me, is pastoral. I think it is experiential. I think it drives us to humility. And that's why uh, I believe in, uh, in reformational truths, the doctrines of grace today. Appreciate your uh, defense of Reformed theology. That's very helpful <laughs> for us to hear. And we encourage people to explore this for themselves. So here at Wildwood, we will be presenting Reformed theology as a way to understand Christianity. Obviously, it's not the only way. And we recognize that there are brothers and sisters who believe different things. But it's important, Dan, to understand that. We're not here talking about the difference between true Christians and, uh, and false Christians. Absolutely. This is a family intramural debate among really good people. Yeah. And we never should forget that. So we do want to be clear on that. But we're also pretty convinced that it's a good way to go. Well, I mean, you've got to have your convictions, but you don't want to do it at the exclusion of, uh, of denying uh, the validity of brothers and sisters that have a different point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks, Bob, for being here with us and having this conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Make Disciples podcast. 
We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. My thanks to Catherine Eckhart, the producer of this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida.